Revolutionaries, what's good? Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Scotch Porter, founded by my dude, Calvin Qualis. Scotch Porter is the fastest growing hair and beard care company in the country. About a year ago, my friends started telling me that my skin looked amazing and that my beard looked soft and luxurious. I told them, this is Scotch Porter at its best. To celebrate our partnership, Scotch Porter is offering 25% off of any order, $40 or more, with the code WYR25. With over 26,000 five-star reviews, you can see their clean, non-toxic products really work. In fact, their new hydrating body wash features shea butter, marula oil, and botanicals, and is perfect for all skin types and tones. This offer is exclusive only at scotchporter.com. Now go grab your grooming essentials and make sure you use the code WYR25 to save 25% off of your order $40 or more. This offer ends March 31st, 2023 and cannot be combined. Now let's get ready for the show. Dr. Jude Austin, my dude, my dude, my new friend. Uh, What's your revolution? Man, my revolution, um, you know, it's simple. I think it's simple, maybe hard to do. Um, I just try to intentionally impact people um, one hour at a time for 50 minutes uh, over and over again until you see that ripple effect in your communities, you know. And I've been lucky. I found ways to do that outside of just my community with my books and keynote speeches and presentations. I'm able to see a bigger ripple effect, you know? Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's a Revolution show. The show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution themselves. Where people can find and embrace the revolution themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? Oh, God, I love saying that. How are you? You know, uh, hopefully that you are, are doing well. And as I've said previously, we are in the fourth quarter. And uh, for our football fans, for everybody that knows about, you know, the sports analogy, it's the fourth quarter, right? You know, people are holding up that four, right? That means it's the last part of the year. And what are you doing to continue your revolution? I keep saying that on every show. Oftentimes, like, why do you say the same thing over and over again? Because I want you to know that we are here for you and that it is. It is the fourth quarter. That means you still have time to fulfill your revolution. And I'm hoping that you have asked, you asked this question early in the year and you started working. You started saying, how can I revolt and evolve? How can I revolt and evolve into the person that I want to be at the end of the year? Did you make the right choices when when you were trying to say, am I going to be revolutionary or ordinary? That those choice points came up and you said, I'm going to be revolutionary. I'm going to move into the space of being the person that I want to be. Right. Did you find the people who are going to midwife your dream out there, midwife you to help you out to say, I'm going to pull this version of you out of the old version of yourself so you can stand up and be the person that you want to be, right? And are you saying in this fourth quarter how you're going to show others that your revolution is not just for you, 
that your revolution is for others, that you are a beacon of light for someone else, right? Because somebody is looking at you. You may not know on your social media, in the grocery store, your children, your cousins, your family member, your community member, your neighbor. Somebody's looking at you and saying, hmm, I see a difference. You walk different, right? You smile differently. Your demeanor is different, right? You're dressing a little different. Your walk is a little bit more upright. You've done something. And somebody is asking, right, how do I be like that person? How do I get to be revolutionary like them? And so I am hoping that you understand that you are a beacon of light for someone else and keep pushing your revolution. Tell folks about what you're doing. If you're on your Peloton, it's like, like I love, like tell them about the classes that you're taking. Show off that picture of that new body of yourself. You know what I'm saying? Do the things you need to do so people can say, hey, I'm here with you, I'm lauding you, and I want to be just like you or some version of you that helps me be successful and revolutionary. <sighs> yeah, it's been a lot. It's, it's, it's been that kind of month. As you know, as I said in the last show, uh, I lost my king on, on September 16th. And, you know, it has been an interesting month without my father. And... You know, if you listen to the show with Ramel Toon, you know, as I talk about what I what it was like to be in, in embraced by a loving father. And I have to say that that my father was a great father. Right. And was he a good husband? Uh, that's up for my mother to decide. Right. But he was a loving father. and He taught me how to be a man out in this world. And so Charles S. Corporate Jr. I always want you to know that I love you. Uh, and I'm appreciative of all the love that you have poured into me over the 51 years of my life that you showed me what it meant to have a father's love, for a man to love his son and for a son to love his father. And so thank you for all that. And to all the fathers and sons out there, I ask that you pour into each other. If you haven't seen each other, find time to do it because you just never know. And I was lucky. I was lucky. But Many people don't have that time with their fathers, right, that I got. Many people, they lose their fathers early and they have to find another father figure. But whoever is in your life, sons and fathers, talk to each other, love on each other, right? Dispel the barriers that are in between you because, like I said, you never know and you do not want to look back and say, you know what, I didn't know my father. I didn't pour into him. He didn't pour into me because you were stubborn or you were upset or something, find that way, dear brothers. But like I said, you know, as I take a deep breath, right? My father also showed me what it was like to be in a relationship. And I'm not probably saying that in the best way, right? Um, relationships are not easy. Uh, relationships can be terse and hard and traumatic. Uh, they can be loving and caring and supportive and all the things that I just said. But the question that I have that I, that I begin to ask, you know, even myself, you know, at, at 51, and I talk somewhat, but I'm going to talk a little bit more. But at 51, I haven't had the significant relationship that has allowed me to have partnership, right? That allows me, as we talk about this, what does self-actualization look like for you when you have good partnership? Because when we are finding our times, when we're out here in these streets, <laughs> you know, you can't really self-actualize. And that's what I want to do in my life, to find a great partner so that we can self-actualize, that we can make each other better. But what's at the floor of this, right? Many of us have to ask the questions, why are we showing up the way that we show up? And I wanted to bring in my good friend, right? It, 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 right? You heard me say that, my good friend. And, and Dr. Jude, I, I, I want to bring, I wanna bring, this, bring you in with this statement. Uh, one of my listeners, uh, her name is Monique Harp. And 
I saw her the other day and she's like, I just love your show. Every time I hear your show, it just opens up my world. But I got to ask you this question. And she said, are all of the people that you interview your friends? And I was like, I'm glad that you think that, right? Uh, I'm glad that you think that. I said, I make new friends every time that I have somebody on the show and I am bringing my new friend. And Dr. Jude is not a new friend. We met earlier this year, and but he is a wonderful, wonderful human being in this world. Like, you know, our conversations have been infectious. And this brother, as you will learn over the next couple of minutes, is one of the foremost thinkers when it comes to counseling and thinking about relationships and how do we show up in the world. And I, I want to make sure that I get the title right. All right. Dr. Jude Austin is is a prof- uh, assistant professor at the University of Mary Baldwin uh, at Baylor University in Texas. Uh, is that correct? I want to make sure that I'm correct, Dr. Jude. It, University of Mary Harden Baylor. Yeah. Mary, Mary Harden Baylor. Baylor. There we go. That's just a school of, 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 uh, of Baylor. But yeah. Oh, it's just a school of Baylor. Excuse yeah. me. I got you. <laughs> how, you know, how dope those, uh, what is the, the Baylor Bears? They are the Baylor yeah, Bears. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The they're Baylor like right Bears. down the road from us. Yeah, far, far yeah. Yeah. I, I got, I got you. But this brother has talked at length about how do we show up in relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, a licensed marriage and ca- family counselor. Yeah. Um, and works extensively with couples and families to think about how we can actually be the best versions of ourselves Mm -hmm. um, in this space. And so, Dr. Jude, I thank you for coming on and being a part of this conversation. As I said earlier on, I'm going to ask you, I always ask my guests, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. I got feel blessed. I got a good life. Yeah, we're we're doing really good, man. I got a beautiful wife, good family, two boys. I'm raising, so I'm a dad as well of two boys. I'm mm-hmm. trying to help two uh, boys be good and healthy men in this world. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good. I love my job. I'm doing something I'm passionate about, um, which uh, you know makes it not feel like work all the time. Um, good community, good friendships, able to pour into them. They're able to pour into me. So I'm in a good space. That's a beautiful thing to think about this. And, you know, as I as I just talked about um, my patriarch, I'm yeah. going to pull this question out before I ask my signature question. What is it like to father two boys? Right. What is it like? You know, what does that feel like? You know, and, wh- and what does it look like to father two boys? It's a. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, that question is probably, you know, something I talk to my dad about a lot, you know, because my dad is still here. I'm blessed to have an, an awesome dad, you know, mm-hmm. a construction worker, but probably one of the most sensitive guys mm-hmm. I know in this world. Like when people describe how I am as a therapist, I hear them describing him and my grandpa. Right. Uh, and so um, it is a. Raising two boys, it is a crucible of self-determination and patience, man. Mm. That process of watching them love each other, of watching them love my wife, of watching them love their friends, uh, it kind of holds you and it holds up a mirror and reflects to you who you are. Yeah. So it's a a reflective process, you know, um, which makes it vulnerable and terrifying mm-hmm. and right. also rewarding you know because you can think where'd you get that from and it's like oh yeah that's me <laughs> you know or like oh man i see my dad in you you know it's like how did this ha-? you know those type mm-hmm. of things so it's yeah it's a process that holds you you know and so 
um, I'm trying to go through it um, as intentional and uh, as healthy as possible. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, I say this all the time. I, I love that to just to hear, like you said, it's a process of patience and vulnerability yeah. and, and openness. And I think good fathering is when you have the ability to watch your children yes. Yes. and seed into them. And I, I've been using this word, Dr. Jude, you have the ability to seed into them greatness, mm-hmm. right? To seed in them some of the things that you want them to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, my father did that. My father seeded in me the things that he wanted me to be in the world. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you can tell stories of sacrifice. Oh, my gosh. Right. Right. Stories of stories of sacrifice that happen between fathers and sons that you give up pieces of yourself. Um, you give up pieces of yourself so that your sons, your sons and children have the potential to move further than you did. Yeah. 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 See, like I I'd probably with my experience with my dad and my mom. Right. I'd probably reframe that into instead of giving up. I think they share. Right. They mm-hmm. share pieces okay. of themselves. Um, and I was lucky. My dad was, he wore his heart on his sleeve, but he didn't just, he didn't just emote. He processed his emotions out loud, like what he was going through. And more than anything, I got to watch him live. I got to watch him struggle. I got to watch him face things in his job and in his life and in his relationships with his siblings and parents. And I got to and he shared that. He didn't just go through it. Mm-hmm. He shared it with us, with me. And right. it kind of, you know, through that whole process, you can't help but learn those lessons without having to go through them yourself, you know. My mom did the exact same thing. I remember them, like, saying when something was going on, pay attention to this or watch this or watch how that person reacts. And this is how. You know, or my dad talking to people in grocery stores and he's saying, you got to talk to people, man. You never know what somebody's going through. You got to, you know, just a bunch of little micro lessons throughout the years that just, you know, it makes me the person I am today. And I'm just trying to I'm just trying to pass half of that stuff on to my (laughs) (laughs) just half. (laughs) And that and that is the beauty of fathers and sons as, as as we think about, you know, watching. Right. And and. What, being an active participant in our father's lives, yeah. right? An active participant, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and them actively per- having you as a participant, because you know, as we talked, some some fathers may not. There's a different. There are levels of parenting. There are levels of yeah. fathering, and how the participation oh, yeah. actually actually looks. You know, mm-hmm. let me ask you this question because it's going to it's going to seed into our conversation. Um, how did you? How does what your father taught you allow you to show up in your relationship with your wife? How does it make you a better husband? Jeez, how much time do we have, man? Man, tell the story. Um, let, me, let me see if I can get to the floor of it, right? I think, like, I think the number one takeaway, you know, not number one, that, a top takeaway, one that's figurable for me, that's in the front of my mind is he just taught me how to love mm-hmm. like he, and 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 more than that he taught me how to love and be loved right i think that is the kind of number one thing i got to watch him and my mom 
figure it out, you know? And so that stuff is paralleled in my relationship. I got to learn what to do, what not to do. I got my mom's perspective, his perspective, and I'm able to take all. It's almost like a education, man. It's like a college education. <laughs> the degree you don't see on the wall, you know what I mean? It's like mm. is is that experience, and so I, I, it frees me up, right, to be vulnerable in my relationship because they, my dad and my mom, created this almost like a secure, firm platform for me to attach to. And we can get into attachment theory, but yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, allowed, it, it, it allows me to attach to them, which means that I'm not anxious. I'm not avoidant. I'm secure. And so I'm able to take chances in my relationship with vulnerability and growth and sharing. And, you know, and it frees me up to be able to connect more securely with my wife. You know? Yeah. Um, which helps. Dr. G, there's a, there's a whole dissertation, there's a whole manuscript, there's a yeah. whole, there's a series of book on, on attachment theories. And once you have two psychologists on this, right, we could, we could just go off on a tangent around that, but we're going to get to this because, right, when we, when we talk about attachment theory and how, right, how we attach and so, for, you know, just to, just to operate, operationalize our terms for my yes, revolutionary, yes, yes. as we think about attachment is, is I'm gonna let you go ahead. Right? What? What? Just define attachment and attachment theory really quick. Cool. Like, if, if we were gonna use an example, I like to think of it as like your primary caregivers, your parents, your grandparents, whoever was your primary caregiver. Imagine that they're a boat, and you're a boat on the water, and you're literally attached to that boat, right? Mm-hmm. You're hooked to them, right? Now, if you have a secure attachment, you're able to float around the water look back at them, feel comfortable, but you're able to go and take chances and explore new islands and explore new parts of the water. And even if there may be some rough seas, you feel comfortable because you're still mm-hmm. attached to that boat, you know, in some way. Now, if you're anxious, anxiously attached, you're attached to that boat, but when you're going off and exploring, you're constantly worried and looking back at them and will they love me if I make a mistake? And, you, you know, and so that's anxiously attached and avoiding attachment is is you're attached to that boat, but you don't really feel the tension of that rope. So you're out there in them streets, for lack of a better word, you're exploring different islands and you're facing storms and you know not to even look back because you don't have mm-hmm. any support in that. Island. Right. You need it. You desperately want it. But, you know, what's the point of asking for it if you're not going to get it? And so you, you're avoidant, you know, and so to operationalize it, it's how you relate to another person based off of the experiences you've had and we are primary caregivers. Yeah. 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 And it's a wonderful thing. And and, and we're going to, we're going to dive fully into that because it's, it's, it's a big piece in how we show up in the world, right. And how we show up in in romantic relationships. But I would be remiss and my revolutionaries are in my ear and saying, are you going to ask the question? When are you going to ask the question? So (laughs) Dr. Jude Austin, my dude, my dude, my new friend. Uh, what's your revolution? Man, my revolution, um, <clears throat> you know, it's simple. I think it's simple, maybe hard to do. Um, I just try to intentionally impact people um, one hour at a time for 50 minutes uh, over and over again until you see that ripple effect in your communities, you know. 
And I've been lucky. I found ways to do that outside of just my community with my books and keynote speeches and presentations. I'm able to see a bigger ripple effect, you know, but I think that's my revolution. It's just <clears throat> having some type of positive intentional impact in a small scale that'll ripple out, you know, and, and make big waves. You know? Right. Um, <laughs> I love it. it. I love no. I, I love it, and I love doing this show. Like, literally, you think about this because the, the people that are on this show, I'm fortunate to know that they're not in this world just to do things for themselves. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing to hear. <laughs> it is a beautiful thing to hear when people say that my work, right, whatever it is, is not just for me. It is for others yeah. to impact. And in the smallest scale, right, I try to impact mm-hmm. people one hour, 50 minutes at a time. And you don't you look, you know, as I get a little emotion, I don't know if you if you haven't sat in therapy, right? Mm-hmm. If you have not sat in therapy for a long period of time, and I give a shout out to my therapist, Al Sidholm. I've been with Al for eight years, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm not the version of myself Dr. Jew, that I was eight years ago. Yeah. You know? Mm. And it's because of Al. Mm. It is because of my therapist. It is because 50 minutes at a time, this this person, this this this, this individual trained like you, yeah. has has seen every facet of myself. Right? The vulnerability, yeah. every facet, yeah. you know, every facet of me. And you know. And can look back to say that they had had a tremendous impact, a ripple effect, right? Yeah. And let's think about that. Doc. What you just said, man, a ripple effect. When you drop something, mm-hmm. right, just in a pond, boop, yep. those waves can reverberate mm-hmm. long, long after. Yeah. Yeah. How powerful. We're not, we're not just talking about, you know, <clears throat> impacting people from person to person. We're talking about generationally as well, you know, know, community to community, house to house, individual to individual, but also from grandparent to son, from son to daughter, from daughter to, you know what I mean? It just passes on in that way. Yeah. It is a, it is a wonderful thing to know that what you just said is that I have the impact. (laughs) I don't maybe, you know, how powerful that statement that you just said, right? That the impact of working with you has the potential to in, to change generational behavior. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, the only reason I know the, the, the significance of that statement is because of my mom, my dad, and my grandpa. And I was the type of kid, I grew up in a small country town. And so you go places, you go to the store or something, and somebody will stop you and say, are you, are you Marcy's grandson? Yeah. Uh, you got to tell your grandpa, thank you the next time you see him and then fill in the blink for whatever way that he mm-hmm. helped him one time in 1956. You know what I mean? It's just like that kind of stuff. It's like mm-hmm. it's like how it, it, it frames impact differently, you know. And when I talk to them about it, like I talked to my mom and my dad and my grandpa about it, you know, when my grandpa was here, how did you do that? And they didn't do anything special or big or grandiose. It was the day-to-day interactions from a secure place in a healthy way with intentionality over a lifetime is how you do that. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and in a healthy way with intentionality over a lifetime. And that has a tremendous impact on how not only individuals show up, how families show up, how communities show up, how cities show up, how we show up as a world. I think about that, mm-hmm. right? And we can we can jump into a long diatribe about the traumatic the trauma that is, is our country right now. Oh, but sure. that's not that's not this show. I want to go back. I want to go back for a second, right? Because this, this conversation that I want to have for, with you is about relationships and yeah. and and mitigating, right? Mitigating some of the barriers that hamper us from being successful in relationships. And as I said at the outset of this show, you know, I haven't been right. And mm-hmm. the language that the language that I could use, Doc, is that I I've failed it. It has been the greatest failure of my life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not being able to find and and have a fruitful relationship that then will allow us to catapult ourselves into the next strata of our lives. And the question that comes about now as I do this self work, as I do, as I try to become more self-aware, more self-aware than I have been at any other juncture in my life is why, why? The question is why? And therapy Right. Therapy has been the, the, the no that has allowed me to do the deeper dive. And there's a lot of trauma there. There's a there's a lot of childhood experiences. Right. With with parenting. Right. And, I, and, and I've never said this. Right. It's interesting that people come on my show and say, well, Dr. Corpru, Dr. Charles, Charles, I've never said these things out loud. Well, this I'm about to say something that I've never said out loud. Right. That. I'm here from the reality of therapy. What the therapy showed me is that as much as I love my parents, it was traumatic being with them, mm-hmm. even though they seeded into me wonderfully love and affection, right? Yeah. There was still trauma that happened in that household yeah. that we have an earth that ha- that has, that I have allowed because I take hundred percent responsibility to hamper me from showing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to I wanna go back to how does attachment, right? How does attachment theory, right? Whether you talk about secure, avoided, anxious, right? And thinking through that, be one of the predictors of relationship success or relationship failure as we get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if research can, can say that there is a correlation between trauma and research success or failure. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, the maybe a, a stronger correlation would be how people handle their trauma and manage mm-hmm. their trauma in, in their relationship, um, success or failure, right? I think sometimes in therapy, clients come in and they wanna know the why. Uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's more effective to understand the how, you know? Um, not so much the why, even though that's important, <clears throat> but it's certainly the how um, that can predict success in relationships or unsuccessful relationships. Do you know how you are in a relationship? And I think what trauma does, right, um, on a systemic level, on a relational level, is that it adds a lot of resistance to security. It puts barriers up in between you and another person, right? Um, <clears throat> if someone is trying to move closer to you, right, 
trauma, whether it is small T trauma or big T trauma, right? Mm. Oftentimes, small T relational traumas, they have a tendency to hook onto us a lot, right? Um, what it does is it almost makes us relate to our partners uh, symbolically instead mm. of uh, uh, real and congruently, right? Because when you're experiencing trauma and if you haven't dealt with it, if you haven't processed it, um, and not just processing it to get over it, but processing it to understand how it impacts the way you relate to people. Yes, yes, yes. Right? If you if you haven't done that, then oftentimes you're not in a relationship with your partner. Like that human being sitting in front of you. And this is what I see oftentimes in couples work. You're not even in a, you think you're in a relationship with that person, but you're in a relationship with a pattern, you know? And sometimes trauma what it does is creates these unhealthy patterns that gets in the way of us being in a genuine relationship with the person sitting in front of us. You know, instead of being in that relationship, we're in a relationship with our mom issues or dad issues. Or, yes. If yes. You know what I mean? Like we're in that. That's who we're in, actually in a relationship with. And our partners, all they're there for is to help us cope. You know, oh, so we got to right. get out of that cycle, right? So l- let's let's double click on that. What does that look? Yeah. What does that look like? Can you give me examples from? Oh, absolutely. Oh, what what yeah. does trauma look like? In, you know, neg- and negative coping patterns because of yeah. that trauma in relationship. Yeah, and so like let's say for example, you had a dad who, or mom, or parent who abused alcohol, right? And there's parenting you, and so when you're in a relationship with them. Right. As a kid, you internalize it and you are thinking, I need to to dampen my emotions so that I don't dysregulate my dad so that my dad doesn't get upset and maybe physically assault me or emotionally abuse me. And so you grow up learning that pattern of surviving. Yeah. Right? Is that I'm less important than this person. I need to keep myself safe by being quiet, you know, and so. Mm-hmm. You take that into other relationships. You feel things. There's things going on. You're frustrated. You're feeling things. But you've learned that to be safe is to be quiet. And so you take that into relationships. And that silence can almost seem as if you are uninterested or avoidant or uncaring or, you know, the opposite can happen. You become too caring and you become enabling with your dad. So then now you're enabling in your relationship and then your partner brings things in, you know, and so that dynamic can start um, dysregulating each person. Yeah, I know. It's it's interesting. And and, and alcoholism, children of alcoholics and, you know, how they have had to show up, whether, you know, I've listened to Ed Milet talk about his, um, and he's a big podcaster, big motivational speaker, yeah. big, big time. He talks about how he had to regulate like, yeah. his relationship with his father yeah. um, to think through how he was going to make sure that his sisters were safe. Absolutely. And so, right. How his father's alcoholism led him, led him to show up differently in a relationship that worked because of that trauma. Right? Yeah, man, now how you, to now negotiate, you, how to navigate. Exactly. Now, you take that. I mean, and very practically think about it. You're, if you're growing up in that steeped in that ideal of I'm a protector, you know, and then you so so that means oftentimes 
you will date somebody who needs to be protected. Mm. You know, like you don't know it, but you're dating that pattern. You're dating what's familiar, not necessarily what works and not necessarily what's healthy, but you're dating someone who puts you in the position that's most comfortable as the protector. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> now, is, is, so, does that work? I don't know. You know? no, well, and, and it depends because some people, you know, like you can be overprotective. You for can sure. be for sure. Right. Right. And, and, and sure. so, so I, I think about this pattern. Right? I, I think about this pattern of, uh, of, of of trauma. And I think about the, this pattern of trauma of, of, of physical abuse. Yes. And and then being asked to be loved by the abuser. Oh, absolutely. You know, and as as you talk yeah. about, and as you as you talk about this, it's interesting how some can show up, right? You know that that's the loving relationship that they know, mm-hmm. like from a parent who may be a physical abuser, mm-hmm. right? But then saying, "I'm your parent," mm-hmm. you know, "I'm your parent, and you should love me, and I want love from you." Although I may have just knocked you out, right? Yes. I may have just put you in the bathroom, right? Yeah. You know, where you were in one room in the house, you wake up in the bathroom, unco- you know, from being yeah. unconscious. And you're wondering, like, well, how the hell did I get here? Yeah, you time right. travel, you know? Right, right. And so, yeah. And so then, then you're like, well, wait, let me do a critique of the relationships that I've been in, right? Mm. And, you know, the, the, the cross-reference of, damn, I've had some really, really good women, you know, in my life, I've had, you know, and... Why haven't I stayed with them? But the women who were emotionally abusive or who, who were, you know, distant and different things like that. Why was I running after them? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why, why was I running after them? It was, well, there was there, this is how I learned how to love. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. wait a minute. This this feels like home to me. It feels like home. Literally yeah. called homeostatic patterns. That's the whole right. term homeostatic patterns is. Yeah. Because you're magnetized. And if you if you break that down, and I think sometimes like listeners, you know, if they're processing this stuff, thinking about it as not just the content of I was abused and then also forced or, or, or felt like I needed to also love, forgive and be with the, my abuser. And that creates a pattern where what's comfortable is you feeling like you are pushed away and then pulled towards. Mm -hmm. So in a relationship, you constantly have somebody doing this to you. Right. So then spinning and feeling as if this person loves me and hates me becomes the pattern. That becomes the thing you're in a relationship with. And so. You may say to yourself, I'll never date somebody who hits me and you won't, but you will most likely date somebody if you haven't processed through that. You yes. will most likely date somebody who makes you feel like you're spinning. Yes. Like they love and hate you at the same time, you know, and that's the stuff that you have to be aware of. That's how trauma can impact how you relate to somebody or show up to relationships. Right. You are you are you are preaching and. That's the hardest thing to see, in, in my opinion, right? That's the hardest thing. The, the self-awareness, right, oh, is because if, you, if you're mired in this time and time again and you're not going to therapy, you're, you know, and you keep wondering why, why is there this cycle of, you know, of, of, of bad relationships yeah. and, right, the cycle of feeling 
like this joy or, or elation at some point, and then the emptiness of the end, right? Yeah. Cycle of that. And you're like, wait, why? And if you're not doing the inward work, right, you can't, right, if you, you can't revolve and re- revolt and evolve into the next version of yourself if you don't know who you are right yeah. now and why those things are happening. Um, it has been the most, I don't want to call it rewarding, Doc. I don't want to call it rewarding. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, because I don't think it's a reward to unearth your trauma, right? But I think it has been the most eye-opening, yeah. hard, terse, arduous, any adjective that I can think of, <laughs> right? To un- because of unearthing this has shifted. Doesn't mean the behavior has changed, Doc. It doesn't yeah. mean but unearthing it. Yeah. Allows me to see the pattern quicker. Yeah. And yeah. then to exit quicker. Because wait a minute, no, no. To see, to see, oh, this feels like home. No. And home, mm, we know unhealthy. where this is going. Is home is unhealthy. Yeah. I need to, I need to move out of this. Yeah. And because ultimately, you know, like I said, I'm going to say things on this show that I've never said before. At 50-something and 51, I do not want to look at my life at 80 and said I didn't figure this out and that I couldn't find a relationship. Mm-hmm. I couldn't show up. Somebody could not show up for me. There is no legacy from a relationship standpoint in time. And now at the end of the day, guess what? <laughs> Nobody wants to be alone. I don't want to be the old man in the club. You don't go to, I don't go to the club anyway. Um, <laughs> So, so moving the conversation, because, you know, moving the conversation, we've talked about secure, anxious, avoided attachment. I'm sure at, at some point I had, I, I had anxious attachment because of what was going on at the house. Like mm. I'm going to go off, but is this the right thing to do? Are yeah, you still, yeah, yeah. Am uh, you know, okay? am, I okay? am I okay? Like what, what is this? Yeah. But many of people want to know, okay, Charles, you've talked about this trauma. We know that trauma is this. Now give us the strategies to get out of this. How, how knowing, once we become self-aware, Doc, mm. once we've unearthed that this trauma is what's, what's one of the barriers or the barrier or the main barrier that hampers someone from sitting and, and enjoying in a loving, vulnerable, secure relationship, what do you do then? How do you overcome it? <laughs> you know, I don't know if overcoming is probably, that's probably... Uh, maybe something that uh, doesn't give it the amount of respect it needs, right? Like, I think I think you have to first start by acknowledging how hard this is. Yeah. Acknowledging people spend their whole lives running away from awareness, man. Oftentimes, oftentimes people choose misery in their best attempt at getting their needs met. And sometimes you just have to respect that there's a need that's being met, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, and awareness hurts sometimes. And I think the thing that hurts the most about it is once you're aware, you can't become unaware of it. You have to be responsible for it. And I think that's the step one and two. Step one is become aware, not just like what happened to you, but how this stuff impacts the literal concrete way you move closer and further away from people and how people move closer and further away from you. And then two, take responsibility for it and say, this is how people experience me in a relationship. 
this is how I experience people in the relationship. And I want to be more secure, you know? So you have the awareness, you have the responsibility, and now you have the energy to do something about it. And the thing that you do is you, you figure out how do I take a step closer to people? Is that the way I carry myself? Is that the way that I respond in things? Is that the way that I manage my anger or emotionality? Do I need to work on my emotional reactivity? Do I need to have tougher conversations? Do I need to do, and you've said this, do I need to fail faster? Meaning, do I need to be more congruent earlier in relationships and fail quick or succeed quicker? You know, mm. by by being who I want the relationship to look like. Genuine, empathetic, having unconditional positive regard, immediate. You know, you, you start taking responsibility for those things and, and changing and doing something different. And it doesn't have to be huge, right? It's not, we're not talking about reconstructing the fabric, fabric of your identity. We're talking, hey man, instead of responding right now, take 30 seconds and think this person is doing the best that they can with yeah. the resources they have. How can I respond lovingly or caringly in this moment? You know? By sitting there and thinking, instead of when you have that emotion that makes you want to get angry or make you want to respond reactively, start thinking, how is this my fault? What's my responsibility here? You know, it's like just the little tiny, tiny things. I work with couples on all different spectrums from all different ages. The commonality is that couples who last really long, they do the boring, common day things exceptionally well. Mm. Exceptionally well, man. I think sometimes people, you get, man, five, 10% of your relationship is you drinking whatever you want to drink on a beach in Jamaica. That's 5%. Right. 95% is who's going to take out the trash? Who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to fold the clothes? Who's going to take the kids somewhere? You got to be really good at that. I think sometimes we want the 5% to be the 95%. Oh, it, because look, it looks good. You know, I know looks my, my, look, my, look, my favorite Instagram pages is black. Look, black love, black, black couple, black love, couple revolution, yeah, black love, man. couple, all this. And it just sound. it just looks all beautiful, right? It, beautiful. It, it, it looks, it looks beautiful, but you're right. And one of the things, Doc, that, that has really, really, in, in this self-awareness journey that I've been going on, and I want to thank my folks at Camelback and Aaron Walker for seeding this into us. It's, it's, it's in, in the book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Hmm. And one of the things it talks about is, is 100% responsibility, that we are all responsible for the outcome, right? Yeah. And Doc, probably the, what, what I've been told, is, and maybe it's the way that I say it, but probably is 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 the, the way that I, the, the hubris way that I say it, because I always say that I'm not responsible for your feelings because I, I it, it irks me. And I'm sure that I got I got to work through this when people say you made me feel this way. Mm. Right. And my, my retort is I didn't make you feel any kind of way. Mm. And what happens is that in my opinion, right, in my opinion, is that we allow we allow things to impact us. Yeah. 
And if if we take responsibility now, I have a responsibility to, in say, OK, if if this is making you feel or allowing you to feel maybe I need to say this in a different way. Yeah, right. Sure. I need to say this. Sure. Um, but I often own like like what's our responsibility in our relationship into the outcome, both of our responsibilities. Yeah. Right. Instead of this blame, well, it's your fault or it's, it's your fault. Yeah. How did we get here? Yeah. Right. What did we both bring to this to get us to this outcome? And if we yeah. both can take responsibility and, and even if it's taking responsibility that my trauma led me to my behavior. Yeah. Right. And acknowledging that because I, I again, I'm saying things on this podcast that I've never said before. Right. Yeah. Dating someone and it feels good. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels for once dark, like, oh, okay, this feels, as I said, this feels like warm water to me. Yeah. And what is warm? And, and, and dark, warm water feels, oh, wait a minute. I'm in warm water. Uh oh, no, no, I'm in warm water. Gotta get out. Gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. This is warm water. Warm water. This is bath water. This feels really, really good. No, gotta go. Yeah. So began telling myself stories about, wait, oh, wait, wait a minute. Your, your cadence isn't the same. Like, what's going on? And then my trauma comes in like, oh, right. Are you leaving this, 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 in this uh, anxious attachment? Are you leaving? What's going on? All of a sudden I blow up like, hey, well, I haven't heard from you. Seems like you're leaving. So let's just be done with this. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now I've triggered that person's trauma. For sure. For sure. Right. Yeah. And when we sit down to have a conversation I acknowledge that my trauma is what got me here. Yeah. That my insecure, right? My anxiousness to this, right? Because it felt like warm water. I don't know how to sit in warm water. I'm used to ice baths. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And so sitting in that, like, wait a minute, this is my responsibility Mm. in taking that. But where we lost it, where, where everything fell apart was there was no responsibility taken on the other side. Yeah. This is all your fault. Yeah, man. It, it's it's a breakdown, right? It's a rupture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that I frame it in my mind and the way that I try to help couples frame it is that while you're not responsible for what your partner is feeling, you're responsible for the distance and closeness in the relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and literally trying to get couples to see that you're constantly in an ebb and flow relationship with your partner. And there's things that you can do and say that pulls your partner closer and pushes them away. So while they may feel something, do they feel it over here or do they feel it over here? Mm. You know, like that's, you're responsible for pulling your partner closer, regardless of what's going on for them emotionally or cognitively, you're responsible for that pull, you know, and an argument, a fight, a discussion that this transcends that, you know. And so what you're trying to do all the time, regardless of what's going on, is pull your partner closer to more secure connection to you, you know. And so, Now, if they get upset in that process, that's OK. Can you respond in a way that even if they're upset, they want to have the discussion and they want to talk, you know, or do you do it in a way that pushes them away? 
that that's what you're responsible. You may not be responsible for their emotions, but you're responsible for the connection. Yeah, and that may be that may be the greatest relationship lesson that I've had in my entire life. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the check is the check is in the mail, dear brother. Um, <laughs> no, but but that, because I, I I'm thinking about conversations in in, in the mix and yeah 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 and if and if I'm thinking about even though we may be fighting how how and where in this 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 cauldron of our relationship are we fighting yeah. are we fighting in a distance like you said are we doing things that are going yeah. to sever and break us up or are we yeah. are we having an argument or a disagreement in a in a manner that is like still keeping mm-hmm. us close but we hear mm-hmm. each other and mm-hmm. Right. You, you know, Dr. Corbin, you're supposed to be the listener. Yeah. I, yeah. OK. All righty. All right. Try my best. Uh, uh. But it's honestly it's like, what are you listening for? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the question. It's like if I talk to if you talk to your partner a certain way and you know that the tone of your voice or the way that you're doing it or what you're saying reminds them of their dad and they're triggered in that space. Do you do you have the relational courage to be able to say, I'm not trying to be your dad. I'm not, I'm sorry. It feels like you're triggered in that way. And I don't want you to, do you have the humility to say, I just want you to be close. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, to take you there. You know, do you have that, you know, to be able to see that I'm just, I'm really just want you to be close to me, you know? You know? And o- o- oftentimes that is the language, right? You know, what, I, what I've learned and tried to is that we will dance around how we really feel, yeah. you know, or no, let me, let me personalize that. I will dance around how I really feel mm. instead of saying, you know, I want to spend more time with you. Or I want to spend some time with you. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while or, yeah. hey, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from you in a while. Instead of just saying like, hey. You know, I would love to hear your voice or I would love yeah. to spend some more time with yeah. you. Right. And those are the things that we want to, you know, hey, I, I enjoy being in space with you or I enjoy yeah. your touch. I, or, you know, I miss yeah. the feeling of your touch. And then yeah. like, instead of saying, you know, you haven't touched me in a while. What's going on? Right. See, like that is the exact definition of how people will oftentimes choose misery at their best attempt at getting their needs met. Right. What they, what they want is to be close, but instead of just taking the chance to do that, you choose to make this person feel it a certain way. It's like just, just say, "This is what I need." Instead this is of trying I need. to, instead of trying to get your needs met in a way that mm. is unhealthy, right? And I think that that we all need to hear, like our trauma is going to show up, right? Like you said, and and, yeah. and yeah. in the self awareness piece. You have to say, like, is this my is this my trauma showing up, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things that I, I am trying to do as, as I move forward in this is to sit in the discomfort of my trauma, right? Yeah. Because my, my trauma will create this feeling in my body, mm-hmm. and what I want to do is then alleviate that feeling in my body as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right. That feeling of angst. Right. Because it happens right here. Right. You know, if you if you're listening to me. Right. It happens right here in my sternum. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that feeling of unease. And I don't like that feeling. I hate yeah. that feeling. And I want to dispel that feeling as as quickly as I can. But what happens is that 
I'm doing that, and then I'm doing, I'm coping negatively, right? Because I want, I, I don't want to feel that way any longer. So I am, you know, I'm reaching out in a feverish way, or I'm doing something that I, I, I wouldn't normally do if I didn't have that feeling, and that creates tension in itself. Because what, yes. it, it never, nothing ever happens when you want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Trying to, I'm trying to teach my three year old that right now. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing, like you know. And then all you're doing is just creating a greater sense of anxiety Absolutely. and height, this heightenedness, like oh, every, like the world is falling apart. Yes. Within all actuality, Doc, you know this. It's not. It's not. It's not. And what I've learned is that if I sit in the discomfort a little bit longer, the world will play out. Yeah. One way or the other, right? The story that I've told myself, right, will play out mm-hmm. truthfully. The story that I've told myself will play out untruthfully. And oftentimes, as you know, as a therapist, the stories that we tell ourselves typically are not true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Typically. Yeah. And our and our trauma and our anxieties are the ones who are writing. The, they, they are the most creative directors. They are Martin Scorsese, right? Everything like like yeah. they are they are Oscar winning directors yeah. and writers and producers, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you have to sit in that and be like, you know what, Martin, go sit down somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. let me sit through this. Yeah. And oftentimes you sit through it. The phone rings or a text comes and. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hate the most because I'm like, well, damn, why didn't this text ease everything? Oh, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> well, it like, you know, it if you well, because what will happen is that film becomes like a transparency that we place over the situation that's happening now. You right. Know, and it's, it transposes on it and we get kind of pulled into different time zones and what's happened back then is not happening now. But if you're able to securely build a relationship, you're not using your partner to cope. You're using the relationship to cope, you know, and your partner helps you build the relationship that you can then draw from in times where you do feel triggered and you do feel like your trauma is being kind of the debris of your trauma is being kicked up. You can go to your relationship, not your partner. Now your partner helps you build that relationship. Right, right, right. And that relationship then supports the trauma. Yes. Not your partner. Your partner doesn't support you in your trauma. The relationship does. A healthy relationship does. Yeah. And you know that you can sit inside. Because the thing about it, I I think what I'm hearing you say, that if you're building good, strong foundations in your relationship, it takes both people. Right. And there's a communication that I'm in this relationship with you and we are building this and that our trauma, right. Our traumas may show up, but our relationship is founded on what we pour into it. Honesty, trust, communication, vulnerability, love, faith, all the things. Right. I can go. I'm feeling triggered. So and the vulnerability is the ability to say and, and this is the other thing that I've learned is. Let me come with curiosity instead of allegations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, right? I'm I'm curious, you know, did you receive my text message Mm -hmm. last night? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious if what I said made you feel this way. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm curious, right? I'm asking this from a curious question. Mm -hmm. 
And I, and I don't know, Doc, and I'm placing this to you, when, when, when we come with curiosity, I don't know if many people are, what, what do I want to say, socialized, but what do you mean, I'm coming with, because I, I, my opinion is that if we come with curiosity, we're, 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 we're not looking for certain answers. Yeah. We're just trying to understand. I'm curious, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah, we try and to, I negative. try to teach I try to teach our therapists to say words like I can't help but notice. You know, like, right. I can't mm-hmm. I can't help but notice when I said that you pushed away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like is there anything is there a way that I can say that that'll make you want to come closer to me? Right. You know, like that type of like language, you know. I, I love that. And 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 the crux of this, right, revolutionaries, is that we want to be in relationships and we want to have behaviors that bring our partners closer to us. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, I'm thinking about conversations recently and what did it look like? What did it look like? Were we bringing each other closer to each other? No. The answer, the, the whole answer is no, mm-hmm. no. We were doing things to push each other away. But the problem with that was that there weren't honest conversations long ago that needed yes. to happen, right? Yeah. There were there were not honest conversations that needed to happen long ago. And now the ramifications of not having those conversations yeah. about trauma, about feelings, yeah. about where this is, about what this is, mm-hmm. right, that did not happen long ago, now come down and traumas are triggered, right, and now you're showing up in your you're showing up in your fullest survival mode. Surviving, right? You're full of, and and you look. You know any animal, right? When they're in survival mode, right? They're just trying to. They will fight. They will fight tooth mm-hmm. and nail, claw, conniving, whatever, to survive. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's what that's what we see. That's what we see when trauma is enacted and people go into survival mode. They will do anything to mitigate that feeling, Doc. Yeah. I don't want to feel like this. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. feel like this. The relationship, you know, the relationship has to have the currency. It has to have the strength to be able to handle the tension of yeah. trauma, if that's the case. Because it's going to happen. It has to be able to handle the tension of loneliness or the tension of lostness or meaninglessness or grief when a parent passes away. The relationship, you have to be able to build it so that it can hold the things you need it to hold. And you go to the relationship when you're struggling. You know know what I mean? I'm sorry to cut you off. Let me ask this because, look, I'm yeah. looking at our time and look, we, we can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One or two tips to foster, right, in, in the midst of the trauma, one or two tips to foster a healthy relationship, yeah. right, that we don't bring our trauma into it. How do, how do you do that? Because you, you're saying at the core is the relationship, not the individual, it's the relationship, right, and we pour into that. How do you build that? I think one is on an awareness tip, the awareness, try to gain some awareness of not just your trauma, but how your trauma impacts the way you relate to people, right? Do you need them to be closer to you? Do you push them away? Just the awareness of that. And then the second tip is an action tip. So you have your awareness tip, now the action tip is to do the small thing that pulls your partner closer to you mm-hmm. instead of pushing them away. 
that may be changing your tone of voice. It may be being more patient. It may be having a conversation at a different time, right? But knowing what's going on and then being able to do something about it is the key, right? Because um, yeah. you don't have to do it perfectly, but your partner needs to see you try. Right. Yeah. And it's a practice of this. It's, it's a practice. And you're not going you, to. You'll be not, doing this for until you die with your partner. Right. Right. You'll be right. doing this until forever. It is, it is a conscious behavior that happens. Like, like you said, what, 95% of good relationships is doing the boring stuff. Non-sexy stuff. Non-sexy. And that is non-sexy <laughs> stuff to think about. How do I do the things to bring my partner closer to me? Yeah. In conversation and behaviors and understanding who they are, how they show up, how I can mitigate their trauma, how they can mitigate mine, all the things. Right. How do I promote vulnerability and yeah. honesty and faith and communication? Those things. And there, you know, we didn't even we didn't even talk about that. But there are there are initial conversations that have to happen oh, to build in that. Right. Right. Oh, we didn't even jump into that. Right. But no. those initial conversations to build the trust. Right. When you're dating. Brene, yeah. Brene Brown says in one of one of her books. And yes, I'm she's. As, as, as partners, we do things, right? We, I don't think she calls them tests, but we, there are times where we want to see if we can trust our partner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in that vulnerability. And we do, we do things on purpose and sometimes unconsciously to see, can I trust you? Yeah. Right? Are you there with me? Do you see me? Yeah. And when we don't, when, we, when, we, when you don't do that, then we're like, wait, well, I, I don't know. Hmm. And what you're saying is that to build that trust, to build that honesty, right? Find ways, find communication, right? Find behaviors, find yeah. little things to say, I want to do this to bring you closer to me. Yeah. If you like them. If you like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want yeah. that. If that's what you want. If you want that. Dr. Jude, I, look, you know, I told you... Uh, I told you that I was I was excited about this conversation, right? Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it it means a lot to me as because it is a personalized conversation. Every conversation on this show is a personalized conversation, but this is this is personal to who I am, right? Yeah, yeah. This is in essence like the greatest revolution of my life, right? Yeah. To yeah. want to be able to show up healthily for mm-hmm. someone, right? Mm-hmm. To have a, a, a blusteringly, wildly, as we talk, wildly successful relationship that is 5% sexy and 95% boring, but we're in this together, right? Yeah. That there's a potential for us to have a, a family, whatever that looks like, that we can love on each other. I am big on self actualization and I know that doing all that I do in the world, I can't do it alone. Yeah. I just can't. And and listening to you and hearing you talk about how you pour into your sons, how your father and mother poured into you. And then this generational pass down of behaviors. Yeah. Right. And thinking about you, I'm, I'm looking at pictures. Uh, I think this is pictures of your family in the background. Yeah, right? yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? And, and seeing that and right. Joy. Right. Yeah. And seeing joy. Who doesn't want that, dear brother? Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't who doesn't want that's to have that? Right. That's the goal, because, you know, Scott Barry Kaufman talks about, you know, our, our path to self-actualization. Right. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Love and belonging is on one of those rungs. Yeah. 
We need that safety and security. It's one of those rungs, right? You can't get to love and belonging until you feel safe and secure. It's in, right, those things. Like love, right? It's a process, right? Love and belonging. And what does love and belonging do? It leads to self-esteem. We feel great about ourselves. The one thing I love about talking to you, Dr. G, when you say you are infectious, you are infectious, brother. And I know that people gravitate around you, right? I know your family gravitates around you, that, that, yeah, that you're yeah. almost like, and I'll say this as, as, as one of the highest accolades that come in, you are the sun. And then I'm sure that the, that, that, that the folks gravitate around you. And I'm not saying that you know, the sun, the, the sun and what it, it gives life, right? It's high, but it, it gives life. We cannot live without the sun. And the sun nourishes us. It gives us all, all of the things. And I, I, my hypothesis is to you, Dr. Jude, is that you nourish the folks that are around you. I and try. I applaud you. I applaud I you for that. Yeah, I, I appreciate you. that. I appreciate yeah. that, man. Yeah. Um, revolutionaries, look, when you hear this episode, you're going to be like, like, wow. And you'll be like, Doc, you, you really gave something to this one. I've been looking forward to talking about this out loud. You know, Me too, man. And, Me and, too. And, and, and saying it and just to have someone who can really, really seed and, and pour his knowledge into it. So I, I say thank you to you, you know, for being a guest, being one of my favorite guests on one of my favorite topics, you know, oh, and thanks for having I'm looking me. for. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to more conversations with you as this, as this cup, because many of the brothers who yeah. listen to the show want to be better men. Yeah. They want to be better husbands. They want to be better fathers. They want to be better partners. Yeah. And. If that's the revolution, I am here all day for it. Absolutely. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> revolution is like we said at the beginning of the show, it's the fourth quarter, right? And if your relationship is one of your part of your revolution, this is the show to listen to, right? The tidbits, the thoughts, how you move closer to your partner, how you communicate, like how to how do you communicate what you need, the language of love, right? And saying that. So we're here for you, we're here with you, and you know that I love you. And that I wish you well. I wish you well. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, you know what I'm going to say. Always be able to answer what we think here is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? We'll talk to you soon. Peace. 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 That was one of the most powerful episodes that I've had on the show. Um, you know, when you think about relationships and, and, and how to show up and what it feels like. Um, relationships have not been easy for me. They have been hard. They, it is the hardest part of my life. And I want to be better. I've always wanted to be better. At least for the last eight years, I've wanted to be better and to show up better. And, and I sometimes I do it well and sometimes I don't. Um, but there is a, a strong desire to be a partner for someone. Uh, to have a family, you know, to have a strong, loving, you know, woman in my life that that we can seed into each other, that we can pour into each other, and it's work. You know, the part of that is being self-aware. The self-awareness that has happened, as I said, I'm thankful for Alice at home, who's been my therapist for the last eight years, who has given me life, who's changed me. You know, who's allowed me to put the darkest sides of me into the closet and this lighter version of me, proverbially and literally. Is coming up and it's not easy and I'm not perfect I'm not perfect at all but it is the greatest revolution of my life to be ready for partnership to be ready to be loved to be ready to give love to someone who is ready right and, and that's the other side of this who is ready to show up um, 
who has done the work themselves. And so we'll see, but this is the journey. And so I want to thank Dr. Jude for this opportunity to talk with him about what it means to show up to overcome our trauma or at least wade through it as we become this version of ourselves, the revolutionary relationship version of ourselves. So I'll talk to you soon, revolutionaries. I love you. 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 That's a good one, man, brother. I appreciate it. take soccer for an example um man a good soccer team is a mixture of artists and warriors like mm-hmm. you gotta have two parts to be and they have to flow together you have 11 guys right. on the field or 11 girls on the field and they all have to work as one mm-hmm. you know and so they bring their personalities and soccer is a game where you want your individual fingerprint to be put on the game and so you have to kind of be able to do that. But if you're going through something and you have to play and your role is to support this defender as a midfielder, but you feel unsupported in life, it's going to be hard. To, you know what I mean? It's parallel. There's a lot of parallels in there, you know. And so it really is like it's way more complex than uh, than just are you good at this sport? Are you, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that system. Um, Dr. Jude, do me a favor. There should be a button. Um, do you see where a button says echo cancellation on your side? Let me see. Yes, I see it. Is it clicked or can you move it to the right? It says I uh, cannot change while recording. It is clicked though. Okay, good. It's, it's on the right. Yes. Gotcha. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So, good. What I want to talk about today is kind of, to- it's not kind of, it's totally different from the kind of conversation we had. Um, a lot of my listeners have been like, you know, have been struggling in their relationships. And and what we're seeing is that a lot of brothers are opening up about their own trauma. Once again, we want to thank our sponsor for the show, Scotch Porter. Please remember that you can save 25% off of any order, $40 or more, through March 31st, 2023. Spring is coming, and it's time to revolutionize your hair and skin. You know that we love you, and we're here with you. We'll see you soon. Peace.